0: Tonight's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that should be on 1153, page 1153. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am only a, clanging, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Well, we come this evening to the end of our short uh, Sermon series on Song of Songs, and um, I hope you've uh, enjoyed it and found it uh, helpful. As we've said before, the theme of the book and the theme in many ways of the whole Bible is love, and uh, it's fitting, therefore, to, to conclude with that passage from 1 Corinthians 13 as an introduction to this evening's theme. As we have looked at different aspects of love in this series, we've looked at our love and passion, we've looked at love and commitment. Love and anguish. And this evening we're going to look at the true test of love, which is love and self giving. The so called uh, sexual revolution that um, started in the 60s has produced uh, quite a profound change in sexual attitudes and behavior of people in this country. Probably the most significant and damaging change has been the increased practice of casual sex. Sex simply for pleasure and self-gratification. And the sad thing is that too many people realise too late that sex itself isn't love. And sex for sheer pleasure outside a committed, loving relationship is nothing other than selfishness. It's empty and it's destructive. And instead of being a wonderful experience of intimacy, of sharing... And giving, it has become dirty, casual and addictive, a way of using somebody else as an object to satisfy our physical desires. Ultimately, it has undermined what we've seen in this series and Song of Sons. to be the most important thing for each one of us, to be loved and to give love. And it's in the context of that kind of love that uh, God shows us through Jesus Christ, the love that is described in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that Andrew read for us, that healthy sex can be found. That type of love is patient, it is kind, it's humble, it's considerate, it is pure, forgiving, protecting, trusting and faithful. I'm not just going to be talking about sex tonight, but see the right context for any human relationship, um, because all of the the descriptions of love, all of they, what they have in common is that they are self-giving in every relationship. The self-giving love is a theme which occurs throughout um, Song of Songs, so if you'd like to turn with me to Song of Songs, I'd like to turn to um, chapter 4, which you'll find on page 681 in the Church Bibles. Chapter 4, verse 16 says, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. The woman here is offering herself to her lover. She's saying, come and enjoy. I am yours. I am your garden. Come and taste the fruits of the garden. And there's an appreciation on the part of the lover of what she has offered him. If you look at the first verse of chapter 5, I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. But to give of oneself is not simply to give oneself sexually to another. The sexual act is expression of the giving of one's Whole self, and the real question we're looking at this evening is what does it mean to give of one's whole self? And there are three aspects of that self-giving nature of love that I would like to touch on this evening. And the first of those to be self-giving is to let yourself be fully known. Now, as British people culturally, we find it difficult to sometimes say what we mean. I think probably the further north you go, the easier they find it, but um, down in the south, we talk in innuendo, we don't like to offend and so we beat around the bush. There are some topics we don't like to talk about and uh, religion and politics are probably high up the list. Money is probably another one. Whereas in other cultures, you can start chatting to somebody and within a few minutes, they'll ask you how much you earn. Or they'll quite happily tell you about uh, what they believe in. And if you think about it, it's quite bizarre, isn't it, that we don't like to talk about religion, what we believe in. After all, that's really in many ways, what makes us who we are. You know, our beliefs about where we come from, where we're going, what we consider to be the, the meaning of life. But the thing is, once we start to talk about these things, we are revealing our true selves. After all, that is really what makes us who we are, our beliefs about these, these things. And we are bringing down our natural defence mechanisms. We are letting people into our lives by showing that we don't think about these things you could say shows a certain shallowness about us what is often more revealing though than our beliefs, our thoughts is what we feel in many ways we can control our thoughts often we can't control our emotions they are what we feel we may know that at times we feel things that we probably shouldn't feel and we need to control how we act in that sort of situation. But to tell somebody how we are feeling is actually opening yourself up. It is giving something of yourself. I wonder what stage in a relationship that we open up to someone. Not just in a romantic relationship, but in a friendship. Because the more you open up, the more you make yourself vulnerable. When you've told somebody... What you feel, you've given something of yourself to that person. Last time I quoted from C. S. Lewis um his book Before Love, so I'd like to just quote that um passage again. It's about the vulnerability of love. He writes this he writes, There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. When you have let somebody else see the real you, you can't take that back. And that is why revelations about celebrities are, are always um, things that sell newspapers. Uh, people want to know what is behind that facade. Who is the real person that you see up front on the TV screens? It's interesting when Gordon Brown was caught um, with his lapel mic still on during the election campaign making that off-the-cuff remark In many ways, we learn more about him in just one off-the-cuff remark than during a whole televised debate. In your friendships, in your marriages, letting others know what you're thinking, what you're feeling, is essential to the health of that relationship. Marriages can go on for years, with partners holding back from the other one. Frustrations they may feel. Uh, They may not want to be honest about their feelings And that is why courses like the marriage course are so useful because they enable couples to come together and talk about these things. There's a session in that course on communication. And one of the barriers, um, it says, to effective communication is failing to talk about our feelings because of a sense of inadequacy, maybe a sense of vulnerability that we've talked about, or maybe a fear of what the other one may think. And so the course encourages couples to trust in each other, to listen to each other, without judging or criticising. And it's not just couples, obviously, who need to communicate more openly, more honestly. The same goes for friendships. The same goes for us as a church. You know, it's essential to discuss openly about how we think, about how we feel about things, without judging, without being critical. Because unless we each know what we are thinking, how we're thinking, how we're feeling, then we won't grow closer together as a church. But hand in hand with that goes the next point, because if it's just letting each other know what we think in order that we can get our own way, then that is very different. That won't actually help at all. But the next point is to be self-giving, is to give up the love of yourself, to give up the love of yourself. I want you to turn to um, John 12 uh, for, a, for a moment. John 12, which you'll find on page 1080 in the church bibles just like to read from verse 20 of chapter 12 now there were some greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast they came to philip who was from Bethsaida in galilee with a request sir they said we would like to see jesus philip went to tell andrew Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me and where I am my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Here are people who it says want to see Jesus and not just to get a glimpse of him like some sort of celebrity a bit like my niece who was at Queen's Club this year as a ball girl. Didn't get paid for it or anything but the highlight was to see the tennis players. I think She claims she even touched Raphael Nagal, You know, this is her her highlight. These are people who want to get to know Jesus, but how does Jesus reply to them? Does he say, um, well, tell them to come by. I'm going to be doing another miracle at one o'clock. I'm going to be preaching another sermon. No, his reply is very different, isn't it? It's about how someone can truly know Jesus. And that is to give up the love of themselves. The man who loves his life, Jesus says, will lose it while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's not a a self-hating or a loathing that makes you think your life is not worth living. It's not that sort of um, thing he's talking about here. It's It's a use of hyperbole when he says the man who hates his life. sort of hyperbole that Jesus used when he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What he's trying to say in an extreme way is it's a fighting against the natural tendency to put ourselves first, to satisfy our needs. And that goes against the whole culture, doesn't it? The whole culture as um, captured by L'Oreal because you're worth it, treat yourself rotten, spoil yourself. And we're not talking here about self-esteem either because however low our self-esteem might be, we can still have that tendency to put ourselves first. So how do we give up the love of ourselves? And let's just turn back to um, Song of Songs, to chapter chapter seven in Song of Songs. Back on page six eight three, we read from verse ten of chapter seven. I belong to my lover, and his desire is for me. Come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my lover. She says, I will give you my love at our door is every delic- delicacy that I have stored up for you. There's a total concentration here on what she thinks her lover would like. There's that acknowledgement that she belongs to another a lover so he wants to please him, to satisfy his desires. And in so doing, it will bring her pleasure as well. But it's very different, isn't it, from the attitude of saying, well, I'll satisfy my desires and hopefully he'll enjoy it too, which is a more common attitude today, isn't it? It's the excitement of seeing how much pleasure she can bring him as she gives herself to him. There's also here in Song of Songs a recognition of the, the power of love. Just look at chapter 8, verse 6. She says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. If love is so powerful, then, then timing is essential in love. The man... And the woman need to be able to offer themselves to each other knowing that the feeling is mutual, knowing that they are both ready for the, the full commitment that such love will require. And there's a warning that appears um, three or four times in the, the book. You see it there in verse 4 of chapter 8. It says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. We started this series talking about the passion of love. It's easy for the passion to get ahead of the commitment, the self-giving aspects of love that we've been looking at subsequently. Because if desire is aroused before love is ready, then it just becomes, becomes a lust. And we know from talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the importance of self-discipline in Galatians. It's easy to, to rationalise our desires, to excuse the lack of self-discipline of our bodies. But to put others first means to to help them in their self-discipline and not lead them on or encourage them before the time is right. Well, What other areas of life can we look out for the interests of others and put them first and ourselves second? Well, maybe by not being so focused on what you're doing, whatever that may be, that you don't become oblivious to those around you. Maybe if you're at work, and you're totally involved in a, a piece of work. Maybe a colleague needs some help. Or well, the phone goes, and it's um, a demanding client. Or well, the boss calls you into his office. How do you react in those situations? Is it a real pain in the neck? Or you nip down to Waitrose, get a couple of things you want to nip in, nip out, and round every corner there's somebody you know. How do you react? To be self-giving is to pray that that phone call, that that person you bump into, is not um, an inconvenience, an intrusion into your focus plans. It's an opportunity to show grace to somebody else, somebody who may really appreciate you giving that time to them. To be self-giving is to give up the love of ourselves and put others first. And finally, to be self-giving is to give up your record of wrongs. A passage from 1 Corinthians 13, it said, love keeps no record of wrongs. Or another translation, it doesn't keep a score of the sins of others. That temptation to keep a record of wrongs because we've been hurt. It's like a, like a claim we want to have over somebody else. You know, It's like they are in our debt. They owe us big time. But the Lord's Prayer says forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Loan sharks who lend money to vulnerable people who they know are not going to be able to afford to repay it. Or blackmailers who hold information about somebody enjoy the power that they hold over that person, their victim's. And it can be like that with those who wrong us. We are keeping a record, we're storing it up so that one day we will get our own back. Maybe when we release our memoirs. For those whose memoirs would be particularly interesting to anybody. But in marriage, you know, where husbands or wives hold records of wrongs, it may be to justify themselves when they get their own back. And as these wrongs are stored up, the relationship suffers. One of the popular TV programs on the moment, I can't say I ever watch it, but it's um, called Sex and the City. It tells the story of um, four independent, glamorous women in New York who are best friends and who work their way through life and love together. And one of them is um, a woman called Carrie. Apparently she has everything she's ever wanted. She has the perfect partner. Um, she has this perfect apartment in New York. And now she has the perfect wedding dress and she's ready to get married. Only the other thing she's looking for, that perfect commitment of her partner, doesn't happen because he stands her up. Miranda apparently is the married, career-focused mother of one who is devastated when she finds out her husband has slept with another woman. Well, Carrie and Miranda comfort each other because they are good friends, after all, and they um, slowly get used to the idea, the betrayal, the shock of it, begins to subside. And both of them still realise that actually they love their respective Men, but they're unable to bring themselves to forgive them. And it's only when the friendship between the two women breaks down, when they fall out, that they apparently discover the real place of forgiveness. This is what happens. Miranda says to Carrie, she's begging her, she says, you have to forgive me. And Carrie replies to her, Well, you badger me to forgive you in three days, and you won't even consider forgiving Steve for something he did six months ago. Miranda says, It's not the same thing. To which Carrie replies, It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. The self giving aspect of love means giving up your record of wrongs that someone has done to you and treating them as though they never happened. That goes for all relationships. In churches, you hear of people holding grudges against pastors, even leaving churches because of tough decisions the pastors have had to make, decisions they consider wrong or unfair. To be self-giving is to give up your record of wrongs. It means forgiveness. It means letting go. And that is hard. It requires sacrifice. But that is the real nature of love, of being prepared to sacrifice ourselves, to sacrifice our hurt for the one We love. Well, as we have looked at these aspects of self-giving and love, I'm sure you would have been aware of your own failings. None of us is perfect. None of us matches up to these expectations. But we hopefully have been reminded of the one who is perfect in love. The one who has revealed himself to us. The one who humbled himself to the point of death the one who's kept no record of wrongs, Jesus Christ himself. The Bible is God's revelation of himself to us, but it wasn't sufficient for himself to to reveal himself in his word, the the written word. He revealed himself to us in the living word, in Jesus Christ himself. So we as his created beings could meet the creator so that we could see how someone can live a a perfect life, sinless life on this earth how he can respond to injustice how ultimately he could give his life as a sacrifice for his friends, with greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends that sacrifice meant the record of wrongs that we have committed against God was wiped totally clean, he doesn't hold on to them he doesn't bear grudges like we do He's pleased for them to be forgiven, to be forgotten. In his moments of anguish on the cross, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The one who has shown perfect love is God. But for us now to love him, to acknowledge that love, means that we have to give up our lives. We will never be able to live perfect lives, a self-giving love but we are called to follow Jesus' example of dying to ourselves, of living for Jesus. And that involves giving up what we want and doing what Jesus wants. Giving up all of our plans, all of our ambitions as we sang in that song for the sake of him. It may seem like a huge sacrifice, but when you think of what we receive, it is nothing that we have to give up in comparison. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Is there something you still need to give up for, Jesus?